0: This is Spotlight, WMFE's arts, culture, and entertainment
1: segment. The Spotlight is on now. I'm Talia Blake, filling in for Nicole Darden-Creston. The Orlando Museum of Art is in financial trouble. Back in 2022, former executive director Aaron DeGroft brought an exhibition of Jean-Michel Basquiat paintings that the FBI later determined were fake. That's resulted in a legal battle costing hundreds of thousands of dollars that the museum hadn't budgeted for. I sat down with Orlando Museum of Art's board chair, Mark Elliott, executive director and CEO, Catherine Matson, and their lawyer, Ginny Childs of Ackerman LLP, to find out what's been happening and how they plan to move forward. Recently, you had put out a statement dropping all the defendants except for DeGroft. Can you just clarify or elaborate on that decision? Ginny, I'm going to bring you in here. So we had filed our lawsuit
0: against multiple defendants, all of whom we believed and continue to believe were responsible for bringing this exhibition to the Orlando Museum of Art. Shortly after that lawsuit was filed, we got this fourth grand jury subpoena that was... um, I like to say, the equivalent of a very large bill to the museum that was not reimbursed by the federal government. They're not routinely asking the museum for additional emails and documents. That was another unbudgeted and unforeseen expense. And as a result of that, um, those mounting expenses that we did not anticipate and having to fight multiple defendants in this lawsuit the decision was made to dismiss some of those defendants and pursue the one person who effectively handpicked this artwork and fast-tracked this exhibition, and that was the CEO at the time, Aaron DeGroft. So I just want to be clear that the unanticipated and unforeseen legal expenses that the museum had to incur during this time period stemmed from the Heroes and Monsters exhibition that Aaron DeGroff brought to the museum. Before it was known to the public, apparently the FBI had been investigating this artwork for almost 10 years. And the museum has received four separate subpoenas from the FBI as part of a grand jury investigation in California. And those FBI subpoenas have asked us to produce thousands and thousands of documents and emails all of which the museum had to hire me and my firm to do because they do not have the resources or technical know-how to do that. So that legal expense was nothing that the museum instituted. It was brought on by the FBI and the fact that this exhibition uh, was under suspicion, which obviously we did not know.
1: I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't mention the petition Online On change.org right now, there's a petition called Save the Orlando Museum of Art, and it's being spearheaded by Fiorella Escalon. She's calling for new leadership, among other things, and transparency at OMA after the Basquiat scandal. What is your response to her and others who may be losing faith in the museum? And Jenny, I'm going to give this one back to you. So thank you for the question. I personally
0: haven't read the petition or seen it. I've heard that it exists. You know, we can't control what people write or what they say, and certainly they're entitled to their opinions. I will say that a a 300-page complaint with exhibits and and documentary evidence, in addition to the statement we issued last week, I think more than shows transparency through this process, and and we're committed to doing that moving forward as we can legally.
1: Given that a lot of these things happen and you did not budget for it. I'm wondering, you know, now that we're in 2024, how much trouble is the museum in and is it in any danger of closing? And Catherine, I'm gonna put this to you.
2: We made it clear in our lawsuit that the museum had suffered financial damage as a result of this failed exhibition. And I wanna put that in perspective. This is a small museum with a small budget. And like many other arts institutions, it does not have a large endowment it doesn't have a huge reserve and it putters along basically year after year pulling down reserves as needed to cover minor shortfalls which are customary and any not-for-profit would say they do that on a regular basis it's approved by the board etc in this case we had an unforeseen expense of an additional twenty five percent in one year that was not budgeted and it was more than I think any small organization could absorb quickly and come out the other side whole. We've been dealing with that. Those bills were significant, as Jenny said, they were they were not reimbursed by the FBI. We were on our own and I think that would be a huge impact for any business, even regardless of the size. I've only been here for eight months and in that time, I mean very quickly when I first arrived I had to do a pretty deep analysis of where we were financially and it was clear I could see the damage that had occurred over time, and we have cut our operating expenses down to the bone. We have not laid off people, we have no intention to do so, but we had to really trim our operating expenses. We had to not have some exhibits that we had expected to have due to their cost, so we've been trimming that. At the same time, I've been working with the Board of Trustees, which is a very active, hard-working board, to make connections with local philanthropists, with county government, with city government, to sort of explain our situation, I would characterize this as a short-term cash crunch. And I think that's very customary in many small businesses, particularly with unintended and unbudgeted expenses. So in that time, we have had many, many conversations in the community because I do believe That the solution to this cash crunch is a coalition of funders and we're certainly going to do our part our board has stepped up and significantly increased their personal contributions we have talked to many philanthropists it's a matter now of putting the pieces together and deciding who can do what when and my belief because all of the folks that we've talked to have reiterated many times, we don't want the museum to fail. This is a valued, uh, respected institution over the last hundred years. We've had a rough couple of years, but I don't think that negates the 98 that came before. And we're launching our centennial celebration this Friday at the museum, we'll have the press in for the proclamation, which Commissioner Stewart will do the honors for. And then we have an opening reception that evening from six to eight to preview five new exhibitions that we have.
1: You said you've been going through the budget and you're kind of, you know, in a cash crunch and you're having to not do some exhibits because of, you know, having to be bare bones with the budget right now. Would you mind sharing how much that shortfall is that you're seeing?
2: There have been some numbers that have appeared in the press, and we back those numbers. I think the important piece of information is where those numbers came from and what period of time. All of those numbers were projections from several months ago, and in the interim, and I, I think everyone who manages not-for-profits understand, we have kind of a rolling forecast. We make our best estimate at the beginning of the year for what our line items are going to do, but things change, and I think part of strategy is being adaptable. So we're doing updates all the time. We've had some additional inflows since those projections were made, and we will see that number that has been quoted come down over the next several months. I'm not going to predict an absolute number because this is a process, but I'm saying we are addressing the issues that we have. We're not waiting to be rescued, but we are looking to collaborate with the leaders of this community who value what this museum does. And I think, uh, you know, one very positive sign to me is our admissions. And we have now exceeded pre-COVID admission rates. We're expecting over 140,000 visitors this year. And our first opening day was was January the 18th. We had over 400 people come to the museum. Uh, many were people who had never been to the museum before, which is our intention. We want to invite new audiences in. And so the museum was open from 10 in the morning until 8 at night, so working families were able to come. We had family activities. We had a muralist where people were interacted with the mural. People were sketching in the galleries. It was absolutely beautiful to see, and we're very inspired by that. We can do this because we got a major three-year grant from Alice Walton's Art Bridges Foundation, a very nationally recognized organization, and they believe in us. It sounds like There's a
1: lot of support coming from the community, from um, leaders in Orlando, even nationally with the grant you just mentioned. But I'm wondering, you know, for those who maybe are still feeling a little weary, how do you rebuild trust with those possible donors and and the public after this situation?
3: Mark, I'm going to start with you on this one. Yeah, thanks so much uh, for that question, Talia. And uh, for sure, the process of building back the museum, its reputation and trust with the community is a journey. And it's not a quick writing of the ship, but it's a course correction. And we have been taking steps to travel along that road and, and correct our course. One of the things that was important to the museum and the trustees was to be able to tell the facts and the story of what was uncovered through our investigation. And because we were able to file our lawsuit against the wrongdoers and Dr. DeGroft, we were able to give the public 300 pages of our story and 300 pages of emails and exhibits to show exactly what happened so that there would be no doubt going forward we will continue to tell our stories in small groups as we have done as trustees and with our director to our most important constituencies our uh, volunteer groups and another important thing you know is also to continue to remain open and viable i just would be remiss if I didn't add that on fiscal year 2023, the museum served over 6,000 Orange County students and served over 40 schools. And throughout this whole fiasco, we have never had to close, we have never had to not be open for a camp day or any other exhibition but the museum has continued to serve the community and do the business of the museum uh, day in and day out and that's due to the dedicated and professional staff of the museum so I think our job is to uh, remain open continue to provide the services we provide and continue to release information as we can going forward I know that we're working on
1: getting out of this situation right now, getting out of this little rut, but just kind of hypothetically, what would it mean for Orlando and the surrounding arts community if OMA can't get out of this financial trouble? Catherine, I'm gonna uh, throw this one to you.
2: That's a stark question, and not one that I even imagine as a possibility because we just can't let that happen. I don't see it as an option. And I hope that no one else in this community sees it as an an option. And for whatever misunderstandings and hurt, and I understand that and the embarrassment that the community has suffered because of this failed exhibit, we're still here for the citizens. And people are still coming to the museum in a regular basis and, and more and more. And we want to encourage that. I think the way we regain trust with our citizens, and I understand their despair about this. Is watch what we do. Come to the museum, participate in our workshops and our special events. Bring your children for Family Day. Take part in the workshops. Be a part of of all that's valued in this institution. And we owe a great debt to our volunteers, our very loyal volunteers, who have built this museum essentially over the last hundred years. This is not. Uh, We are not affiliated with a a university or the city or county government like many of the institutions in Orlando are. We're the only independent art museum in this area and in really quite a large area beyond central Florida. And that's because of the citizens of this community. Our art collection was built by citizens through collecting circles that they joined, gave their personal money, and then worked with our curatorial team to purchase works of art. We have a $40 million collection that was bought by volunteers. I think that's extraordinary. And we're focusing on that permanent collection during our centennial year. We're celebrating it. It's honoring the past and all the work that has brought us to this moment and showing beautiful art that belongs to us, belongs to this community. So that's why I say I can't even look at it as an option. This museum deserves to be functioning 100 years from now. And we've had a blip, a two-year blip in our history. We've had 98 years before that that we don't wanna forget. And I'm not saying this is a slam dunk and we have this problem solved. We've gotta rebuild a financial infrastructure that will be more sustaining over the next few years. And that's a process and that's work. But we need the support in the interim so we can get there. I think it would be a very sad day to see the Orlando Museum of Art go away. You said that we're celebrating hundred years. We're
1: looking to the next hundred years. So what is the plan moving forward to make sure that this doesn't happen again? And Catherine, I'm gonna throw
2: this back to you. We definitely want to ensure that this never happens again. We also wanna share eventually when the time is right, the lessons learned with the sector, with other museums, with other arts institutions, because this could happen anywhere, different details. These were the details of our circumstance, but we would hate to see this happen to more institutions. And I think what it it hinges on is building a stronger infrastructure, financial infrastructure, so that we can sustain discontinuities more effectively. We don't expect to have another catastrophe, but you never plan for catastrophe. COVID happened, then a, a failed fraudulent Exhibition happens. We don't foresee these kinds of incursions, but we need a strong financial structure and a deepening and I think a broadening of our fundraising strategy. We need to move beyond the boundaries of Orlando as we look for support from places like Art Bridges, from South Arts who funded us this year, from people around the country who want to support us. So we look forward to a brighter future. We're going to be sure that we're operating with best practice. We are going to be firmly adhering to the AAM's guidelines, and we're fixing our probationary status with them, and they've been very supportive of the work we're doing. And we'll be a stronger institution coming out the other end. It's a painful process, but we will be stronger. And
3: Mark, you look like you wanted to add something. I think it's important to ask your question, how do you prevent this from happening again? And it's important to answer it. And we learned a lot along the way. And. What we learned is that we need to take action to make some changes in the institution, some foundational changes. And part of what we uncovered and some of the changes we've instituted are not uh, very glamorous uh, or uh, headline worthy, but they count and it's important. So, you know, that includes new bylaws from the end of 2022 that were instituted, uh, enforcing term limits for trustees, And really uh, making sure our board knew what it meant to be a member of a board and what your fiduciary duties are. And so we provide certifications from the Edith Bush Institute and nonprofit governance, which is actually related to Crummer College at Rollins. Uh, They provide each of our trustees with a certificate and nonprofit governance. Um, That's really an important foundational step so that our trustees know how exactly to be the overseers of a museum. We also provided for our staff a comprehensive uh, new and updated employee handbook with specific provisions around how to be a whistleblower and how to raise concerns so that the proper people know and that they can take action on those concerns. And one other thing that you know I, I'll say is, unfortunately, we were the victims of a long con. And what I can say is that I think we learned through a little bit of pain to be wary of things that may be too perfect or sound too nice. And so through a little bit of pain, I think we've also learned a life lesson as a, as a community and as an institution that we have just got to really make sure that we double check everything. And when things uh, may seem too perfect, that's when we need to dig deep and find out what exactly those things are.
2: In conclusion, I would just like to invite your listeners to come to the museum The proclamation of our centennial will occur on Friday, the 26th of January. Then we have an opening reception for members who are also bringing guests to see the new exhibitions that we've mounted that are primarily celebrating our permanent collection. And there'll be lots to come all year. There's uh, a calendar of events that they can pick up at the museum, uh, or look on our website. But we invite this community to come and celebrate what they've created and supported for the last hundred years.
1: Catherine, Mark, Ginny, thank you so much for taking the time with me today. I really, really appreciate it.
2: Thank you very much. We enjoyed being here.
3: Thanks so much, Talia.
2: Thank you so much. Appreciate it. That
1: was Orlando Museum of Arts board chair Mark Elliott, executive director and CEO Katherine Mattson, and their lawyer Ginny Childs of Ackerman LLP. Spotlight is a production of 90.7 WMF News. Editorial guidance this week from LaToya Dennis. Support for Spotlight comes from our listeners. I'm Talia Blake in for Nicole Darden-Creston. Thanks for listening.